Next time you tee it up, grab the Callaway golf ball that tour players like John Rahm and Xander Shoffley play, Chrome Soft. There's Chrome Soft with soft feel, great distance, and short game control, and Callaway's most popular tour ball, Chrome Soft X, with workability plus amazing greenside action, so you've got options. Now with the new Chrome Soft XLS, Callaway's low-spinning tour ball that delivers max distance off the tee, Chrome Soft isn't just better, it's better for everyone. Find your Chrome Soft at callawaygolf.ca. Hi, I'm Larissa Harrapin with Down to Business. Campaign 2021 is uh, underway with the uh, parties rolling out their uh, election platforms. Joining us to talk about that is uh, Craig Alexander. Craig is the uh, chief economist and uh, executive advisor at uh, Deloitte. Craig, welcome. Oh, it's a pleasure, Larissa. Tell us what is top of mind for Canadians when it comes to the SNAP election. Is it the pandemic and pandemic recovery, or is it Canada's economy? Well, when we look at recent polls, it shows that Canadians are most concerned about, number one, health and related to that, the pandemic. And the other item is the cost of living. And during the last election, the cost of living was an election topic. But it was interesting because at the time, inflation was very low. Really, what the cost of living discussion was about was housing affordability. This election, I think it's going to be a bit more balanced because in point of fact, inflation has picked up. And so there is concerns around the rising general cost of living, as well as concerns around housing affordability. Government debt is polling at sort of number three. So it's not top of mind, but it's, it's not forgotten by the public. Uh, indulge us here with the uh, politics of it and help us understand the timing. The uh, Liberals' budget was passed, vaccines procured, stimulus was rolled out. What weren't they able to do? Why this election now? Well, I'm an economist and I talk about, <laughs> I talk about economic issues. Um, I think that there is a general assumption that the, the Liberal minority government is thinking that based on current polls, now would be a, a good time to go to the ballot box because they could get a majority government. Uh, I think it, actually the timing of the election will be part of the election. I think the opposition parties will argue that an election was not needed at this time. And the, the evidence of a fourth wave is going to make the health issue persist through the election. In fact, I expect that when the kids go back to school in September, uh, we're going to see the, the 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 fourth wave actually build build up some momentum. So e- even though we've got um, you know we've made a lot of progress on vaccination, which reduces the health risks, the Delta variant is still going to create a fourth wave. And the question is whether that leads to renewed government lockdowns. And so I, I definitely think that the the health risks are going to be a core part of the election debate, um, with the opposition arguing that we didn't need an election in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I'm glad that you had mentioned that. I want to go back to your economic roots, and I'm looking at your most recent uh, uh, report here for Deloitte. Um, You've suggested here, and of course, Stats Can uh, released some of the uh, July GDP numbers, um, 0.8% Canada's uh, economy, I guess, or Canada's GDP, rather. um, The numbers were 0.8% below its pre-pandemic level. For July, the unemployment rate, you know, before it was at 5.7%, of course, it went to 13%. And now it's since fallen to 7.5%. 
not too bad given the, the landscape. And we saw the creation of 325,000 net new jobs in June and July. You had mentioned that the opposition uh, might go after the fact that um, why so early, why now, why call the snap election? But with respect to health and economic issues, the, the liberal government hasn't been doing too bad. The recovery from the pandemic has has been proceeding. And if we think about the contraction, it was really only in two months, right? It was really in, in March and April of, of last year. And by May, after the first lockdown ended, the economy started to grow again. Now, the pace of recovery has been strong, despite the fact that we've had a second, a third, and, and now the the start of a fourth wave. And one thing to observe is that each time we have uh, a wave of infection, the economy is proving more resilient. And that's a function of the fact that businesses have figured out how to deal with a pandemic environment where you have additional restrictions. Um, what we are seeing is a very, what economists are referring to as a K-shaped recovery, which might sound like a strange shape for an economy to, to pass. Basically, the notion is the economy went straight down, and then during the recovery, there's industries that have been going up, and then there's industries that have been struggling and, in fact, have been weakening. And the hard-hit industries are areas like food, accommodation services, uh, parts of retail, particularly retail that, that can't do e-commerce or, or is weak at, at e-commerce, tourism. Um, and what you're going to see during the election is the various parties providing guidance as to how they would help those hard hit industries, right? So in aggregate, the economy is coming back. We're, we're, we're actually not too far off of the pre-COVID level of economic activity. I would stress, though, that the economy, in a sense, hasn't fully recovered until you make up for the growth that should have happened in 2020, but didn't. And that relates back to the unemployment rate. The fact that the unemployment rate is still a couple of two percentage points above where it was pre-pandemic, which means that there is slack in the labor market. And so we are still in an environment where the parties during the election need to talk about how they would manage the recovery. And then they also need to talk about their vision of the Canadian economy post-pandemic, right? You know, what policies would they put in place that would create the jobs? that the politicians are talking about, because all the parties are going to say they're going to create jobs. Um, the reality is governments don't create jobs. Businesses create jobs. What governments can do is provide incentives or policies that encourage growth in demand for labor. And that is, that is how they create jobs. And so each party is going to have their own approach to how they're going to create jobs. Craig, you had mentioned that the uh, opposition uh, may go after the timing of it. I, I want to bring um, some of the uh, data in from your last note. StatsCan um, releasing real GDP numbers for July and uh, Canada's economy last month was only at 0.8% below its pre-pandemic levels. The um, unemployment rate uh, is at about 7.5%. That's from the latest round of numbers. And uh, the economy created about 325,000 net new jobs in June and July. Uh, job listings are up. Uh, consequently, employment growth is uh, likely to go up. 
Canada's rate of second doses is uh, higher than most of our international friends. Uh, apart from the timing, what is the opposition going to go after here? I, I would put it in two buckets. So bucket number one is the pandemic, as you, as you described, revealed underlying weaknesses in the Canadian economy and government policy. For example, when the unemployment shock hit, it became apparent immediately that the employment insurance program was not going to be adequate to support unemployed workers. And this is something that I, I've, I've written research on and argued for years that the EI system we have is archaic and it needed to be updated to reflect the labor markets of today where you have more gig workers, more self-employed workers, more part-time workers. Um, the pandemic is going to be a catalyst to change how we do income support. Um, and, and both the conservatives and the liberals have indicated that this, this is going to be something that is a priority. I, I expect the NDP and the others will as well. Um, one of the things that we saw during the pandemic was weakness in how we care for seniors. Will that be part of the election discussion? The economic case for investments in childcare became very evident when a lot of parents had to stay home and work and kids couldn't go to school. And again, this is something that Canada has deeply underinvested for, for many years. So bucket number one is dealing with the weaknesses that have now been revealed and, and the economic scars that's been created by the pandemic. But then there's the second, the second issue. And the second issue is that Canada actually wasn't on the path to prosperity before the pandemic. You know, with an aging population, labor force growth was slowing and immigration is not going to be adequate to, to fully address that. Uh, at the same time, we had very weak business investment and we had very poor productivity. And so when I started my career, we used to think that, you know, a good pace of growth for the Canadian economy was 3% a year. Not today, the estimates are, you know, between 1.5 and 1.9%. So, you know, something around 1.7% is probably the trend. So the sustainable rate of growth in our economy has fallen in half because of these structural issues. And this is why it's critically important that we figure out how to um, overcome barriers in the labor market that allow more participation in the labor market. Um, this would include things like childcare, immigration, and, and, and upskilling and, and skills investment strategies, keeping more seniors in the labor market those that want to work and are are in physical shape to do so. And then the other dimension is, is, is promoting investment and innovation. And the policies of the past have proven very ineffective. Like we, governments have tried to do, a, to, to incent investment and innovation in the past, and it hasn't been successful. So, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over again, or sticking with the same incentives isn't going to do the job. Right. So I think that when we when we look at the post pandemic world, you know, I think we need to figure out how to address the scars that were created and the, the vulnerabilities that were exposed. And at the same time, think about how to put Canada on a stronger path for growth, which ultimately requires breaking down barriers facing people, increasing investment and accelerating innovation. Craig, we know that the uh, wage subsidy program has been extended. Emergency response benefits have been extended. Uh, you had mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that balancing the books, the deficit was uh, number three when it came to uh, what's important to Canadians. 
are we headed for a slippery slope here? Well, the government has, you know, the federal government has run a massive deficit during the pandemic. But I think that that increase in fiscal stimulus um, prevented uh, basically a, a, a depression. Right. So if the, if the government shut down the economy, but didn't put in policies to support workers and businesses, we would have had depression like conditions in Canada. The right response to the pandemic was large scale fiscal stimulus. And I think you have to be a little careful on sort of armed chair quarterbacking, looking back with what we know today and then judging the policies of the past. Because we've never been in this before. Governments were introducing policies at a speed that they've never done before. So did they get it perfectly right? No. But in broad strokes, addressing the health crisis and supporting individuals and, and workers was the right thing to do. But it came but I, at an enormous price tag, right? Right. And, but I guess going forward, for you as an economist, you must really relish balancing the books. And if this is not the trajectory for Canada's economy, then, then what would you suggest the government do? I think that during economic contractions, there's a case for fiscal stimulus. But once the economy has recovered, is growing again, then you have to look at gradually rebalancing the books, not in a way that will threaten the, the recovery and expansion, but in a way that over a period of years, you get back to balanced books. I think, you know, I think if governments want to, you know, any government that, that's running deficits for an indefinite length of time is, is basically doing so because they're not willing to go to the electorate and tell them that they need higher taxes, right? So I think that because of the scale of the deficits that have been run, you can't go back to balance in a year or two. There, it, it would be too too great a shock to the economy. It would be too negative. So I think the books need to be rebalanced, but I think they need to be re rebalanced in, in a gradual way over an extended period of time. And policies that increase the potential growth rate of the economy, like investments in infrastructure, um, you know, private sector investment, increased innovation and productivity, things that accelerate the, the pace of growth in the economy can help. Because when we look at government debt, we tend to look at it in, in terms of relative to the size of the economy, the debt to GDP ratio. And right now it is worrying, right? So the debt to GDP ratio for the federal government is 53%, which looks low by international standards. But if you add on provincial debt, which you absolutely should, you know, if you take an economy like Ontario, you're looking at a debt to GDP ratio of more than 100%. And that is an excessive amount of government debt. And so what we really need to do is rebalance the finances in a gradual way, but, in, but also put in place policies that will accelerate the long-term potential growth rate of the economy. So I think we need to evaluate different policy options on the grounds of, is this something that's just buying votes or is this something that is just going to fuel short-term consumption? Or are these policies going to help the economy in the long run? Right. And I think that's where the focus really should be. Uh, Craig, uh, lastly, uh, to get your take, um, you have suggested that the federal election could politicize the Bank of Canada. What does that do for its independence? How did this become an election issue? The Bank of Canada's mandate is up for renewal. 
and it, it has to be renewed this year. But we don't have a timing, right? There's no commitment as to when this year the mandate has to be renewed. When the Bank of Canada renewal process happens, the Bank of Canada evaluates all the different options possible. And I, I know in the past they have looked at things like average inflation targeting or what's referred to as nominal GDP targeting, which is basically income growth targeting. And so the, I think the Bank of Canada is open to thinking about alternative options, but the government also has a role to play in terms of agreeing with the central bank what its mandate is going to be. And the central bank's mandate right now is to keep inflation between uh, 1% and 3%. You know, we usually talk about the midpoint target of 2%, but it's actually between 1% and 3%. And they've been remarkably successful at that. If you look, since they adopted that mandate back in the early 90s, the average rate of inflation has been 1.9%. Um, so I would say that's a success. I think what's, you know, one of my concerns is that I, I've had a lot of conversations with people in Ottawa about different options for the Bank of Canada's mandate. You know, there's questions about should they be like the Federal Reserve and target inflation, but also target full employment. There's a question of should they target the average rate of inflation so that if you have a period of low inflation, you accept a period of higher inflation. And then on average, you hit your target. There's a lot of different options that are being thrown about. My hope is that this, this issue stays out of the election. But I, I also thought that we were probably going to see the mandate renewed in September, October. And of course, the election is on September 20. So, you know, it's purely speculative. The Bank of Canada mandate may not become an election issue at all. The independents may mean that the parties don't engage on this topic, but it's a risk, right? And I, it's a risk to monitor. Personally, my philosophy is if it isn't broken, don't fix it. And the Bank of Canada has been remarkably successful with managing monetary policy over the last several decades and through major crises like the financial crisis and the pandemic. So I don't see the need for a significant change in the monetary policy mandate. Craig, thank you kindly. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Thanks very much, Larissa.